Little Johnny was in the kitchen while his mother made supper. She asked him to go into the pantry and get her a can of tomato soup, but he didn't want to go in alone. It's dark in there, mom, and I'm scared. She asked him again, and he persisted, and finally she said, listen, Johnny, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. So Johnny walked hesitantly and opened the door slowly and he started to go in, but he saw that it was dark, so he left when all at once he came up with an idea. He called into the closet, hey, Jesus, if you're in there, will you hand me that can of tomato soup, please? Fear. What was your greatest childhood fear? I mean, we each had childhood fears. In fact, the other day, my wife and I were telling our children that they were all terrified of the vacuum cleaner. And I don't, I I mean, it's a yellow Dyson. It would be scary to a little child. And she admitted that she liked to chase them around the house with the vacuum. A little bit sadistic, honey, if, if I'm being honest with you. I know I had childhood fears. I was afraid of the dark, but it was more than that. I was afraid to go upstairs by myself at night. So I needed my baby sister to accompany me. I was about five or 15, somewhere in there. And eventually I outgrew that fear. Here was my excuse. In my room, there was perched up on the shelf, a French clown that looked at, from whatever angle I was in the room, I swear that thing was looking right at me. Have you ever seen a French clown? Doug, it reminds me of the Seinfeld with Mr. Marbles and Jerry's afraid of Mr. Marbles. What was your greatest childhood fear? We all had childhood fears and they probably seem so silly to us now and eventually we outgrew them. But I think that all of us would admit that even as adults, we still have fears in our lives. As a matter of fact, if I gave us each about two minutes to just write down a short list, I'm sure we could all come up with at least one or two things in this life, even as adults, that cause us fear now. And here's the thing about fear. Fear in and of itself is not sinful. Fear is actually a basic human instinct that has been given to us by God. We call this natural fear. It's the natural response to impending harm or danger. When a bee lands on your arm and you, you know, shoo it away, or when you're driving in the car and there's a snowstorm going on, those are all a function of natural fear. But today I want to talk to us about sinful fear. And that's very different. Sinful fear is sin because it keeps us from fully trusting in and relying on Christ in the midst of that circumstance or situation that is causing us to fear. Whatever it is, an illness, loss of a spouse or a loved one or a relationship, loss of a job, whatever it is in the midst of that circumstance, we make that thing bigger and more powerful than even God himself. And that kind of fear is actually sinful fear because it results from a failure to trust God. And friends, sinful fear is slavish fear. It is paralyzing. It it takes our thoughts captive and distracts us with its influence on our lives. Sinful fear can rob you of your Christian joy 
and it severs us from the sweetness of our communion with the Lord Jesus. And therefore, sinful fear touches and affects every area of our life. And that's what we wanna talk about this morning. We wanna see how God's word equips us to overcome sinful fear. So as we look closely at Psalm chapter 27, we're gonna see that when we are faced with fear, we've gotta do three things. Number one, we've gotta place our confidence in the Lord and not in ourselves. Number two, we've gotta seek his face in fervent prayer. And number three, we're gonna see in Psalm chapter 27 that we've gotta cling to the promises that he has given us in his word. So we gotta place, we gotta seek, and we gotta cling. So that's gonna be our outline together for the next few minutes. Everybody know what we're doing? Everybody know where we're going? Everybody say, oh yeah. All right, let's look at verse one of Psalm chapter 27. And of course, we'll show you this on the screen. It says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now stop there for a second. Now the Psalmist David is writing about a situation where he had every earthly reason to be afraid, okay? An army, a violent army has surrounded David. They have pressed him in on every side and they have one objective. Their intent is to destroy King David. Look at what he goes on to say, verse two and three. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Watch this. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Now, we're not aware of the particulars of this occasion. It might have been one of the rebellions that rose up against David during his 40 years as the king of Israel. But what we do know is that even in the midst of this impending danger, David does not cower. Rather, he makes these two statements of confidence in the Lord. We saw that back in verse one. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation and the Lord is the stronghold of my life. I want us to notice where David's confidence lies. It doesn't lie in himself, even though he was a proven mighty warrior. David's confidence doesn't lie in his military strategy or in his mighty soldiers. His confidence lies in another place or in another person, I should say. And listen, it's not as though David is out of touch with reality. He understands that a violent army is after his life. He knows that they are a real threat and a real danger, but David also understands the surpassing power of his God. Violent armies, evil forces, David says, man, they are no match for Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true and living God. He is my protector. You know, that actually reminds me of a scene from The Lion King, that great theological story. Raise your hand if you saw The Lion King. Okay, most of us. This is the scene where little Simba, poor little Simba, he is chased by the pack of wild hyenas. You remember this? 
They chase him through, I think it was like an elephant graveyard or something like that. Their intent is to destroy little Simba. They corner him up against a big rock and there is no place where he can run. And these hyenas are about to pounce on little Simba, but to his aid comes the mighty Mufasa, the king of the jungle. Don't you love that name, Mufasa? You would not mess with a Mufasa, okay? And with his thunderous roar, he sends those hyenas fleeing, but first he jumps on those hyenas and says, do not mess with my son, with my child. See, David does not give in to fear because his confidence is in the Lord. We saw those two statements of confidence and each of those are followed by two rhetorical questions. He says, of whom shall I fear and of whom shall I be afraid? And of course, the implied answer is what? What is the implied answer of those rhetorical questions? Of whom shall I fear? What is the answer? Joe, no one. Of course not. Now, earlier when I said that each of us could probably write down a short list of the things that cause us fear, even in our adult life, I wonder if any of us thought to ourselves, you know what? I don't really think this sermon applies to me because there's not really anything all that fear inducing in my life. I wonder if any of us thought that. If you did, let me ask you a question. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I think that some of us create an illusion of not having fears in our life because what we do is our approach is we manage those fears by controlling the circumstances that might cause us fear. Let me just give you an example. Maybe there's a history of a family illness in your family and there's a fear that one day you might have that illness. So the way you control it is with rigorous diet and exercise. So therefore you create the illusion that that fear is not really there because you are controlling the circumstances that might cause you fear. Or maybe you've got a little child and your greatest fear is that something someday might happen to your child. So you smother that child and you keep them with you all the time. So that's the way you control that would be fear in your life. Let me ask you a question. Really, there's two problems with that. And the first is this. That is called self-reliance. And that totally dishonors God. It basically says to God, God, listen, I got this. I don't need you. I can deal with this fear in my life. The other problem is this. What happens when that situation or circumstance becomes out of your control? And the fear that you were able to keep at bay is unleashed upon you. Friends, if that happens, when that happens, you might find yourself all caught up in a web of paralyzing fear because your confidence to deal with that fear is in yourself and not in Christ. It's a self-reliance rather than a God-reliance. But listen, the soul that is cast wholly upon the Lord will find that in the day of trouble, their confidence does not lie in themselves. It lies in the Lord. This is so important. Listen to this. Confidence in the Lord. This confidence that 
we're talking about this morning is not is not believing that God will keep you from your worst fear. That's not the confidence we're talking about. It's it's the confidence that even if your worst fear comes true, God will sustain you. He will uphold you. He will keep you from the crushing weight of sinful, slavish fear. And so we've got to put our confidence in the Lord and not in ourselves in order to overcome that sinful fear. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, let's look at number two together. In order to overcome our sinful fear, we've got to seek his face in fervent prayer. Seek his face in fervent prayer. Watch as David does this, verses four. Let's look at verse four. It's probably a familiar verse to you. David says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will, watch this, seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in David's shoes and a violent army was after my life, I think verse four would have come out a little bit different for me. I would have wrote something more like, one thing I have asked of the Lord, get me out of here, God, Like for real, Lord. But that's not what David says. Look at where David's focus is. He's not overly focused on his fearful circumstances. He's focused on the beauty of the Lord. And I ask, how is that even possible in the midst of such circumstances? See, what we've got to understand is that David didn't just seek God's face in times of distress. This is David's lifestyle. The most obvious and natural place for David to flee in the midst of his distress is to go right to seeking the face of the Lord because this is where David already lives. He continues, look at verse five, seven, and eight. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He would conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. He's seeking God. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. This whole little section here of Psalm 27 is a prayer. And he is praying not only prayers of petition, deliver me, Lord. He's praying a prayer of adoration and joy upon the beauty of the Lord. And as he waits for God's deliverance, he demonstrates that seeking God's face in fervent prayer, in fact, is a remedy for sinful fear. A couple of summers ago, my family and I took a little day trip. We went over to Luray Caverns. You ever been into a cavern before? So we go over to Luray Caverns and my kids were all excited and my wife and I were looking forward to it. My kids were excited, not so much for the caverns, but they have like this garden maze that you can run around. My wife and I were excited because in the caverns, they have a natural stalactite organ that plays the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's one of my favorite hymns. So we go to the caverns and what we do is we descend into the belly of the caverns. We're about 10 minutes into this tour and the tour guide is talking and there's, I don't know, about 30 of us. There's groups in front of us. There's groups behind us. And as the tour guide is talking out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I can't even describe to you, a wave of terror and dread came over me like I have never experienced before in my life. 
And I, I'm telling you, I was on the verge of an absolute panic attack. My heart is racing. I'm perspiring. I rip off my sweatshirt and I tell my wife, honey, you have got to start to pray for me. Here's the thoughts that were going through my mind. You're in the earth. You got to get back up on top of the earth to safety and protection. But there was nothing I can do. Groups in front, groups behind. I didn't really know the way out. So I had no choice but to seek God's face in fervent prayer. In fact, in the quietness of my own heart, I just started to cry out to the Lord. God, deliver me from this fear, from this paralyzing fear. I mean, I thought I was gonna lose it. And it only just took a couple minutes before that fear started to subside. And then we went on with the rest of the tour. We got over to that organ and it played a mighty fortress is our God. I mean, what a great reminder in that moment it was to me. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. I was just having like this worshipful moment and for the rest of the tour, I was just singing that song and my wife turns to me, she goes, honey, do you realize how loud you are singing right now? And I was like, I am not. And the lady in front of me turns around and goes, well, I can hear you. You have a very nice voice, she said to me. But I couldn't help it because I experienced what the psalmist meant in Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from my fear. Now the question is this, how does seeking God's face in fervent prayer help us overcome our sinful fear? How does that work? The answer is seeking his face expels our fears. It, it drives our fears out. Here's what I mean. When you were a child, and you were scared of the dark in the middle of the night, what was the remedy for that fear? What was, what was the remedy? You do one of two things. You can turn the lights on and then just try to sleep with the lights on, or you could run over to mom and dad's room. Sometimes both, if you were me, okay? That's exactly what I'm talking about here. Same idea. When we seek God's face in fervent prayer, what we are doing is we are running to our heavenly father. And as we gaze upon the beauty of our glorious Christ, his light dispels and expels the darkness of our sinful fear. And that's what the psalmist does right here. So friends, we've got to seek his face in fervent prayer to overcome. In the moment when you are tempted to be gripped by that fear, rather than cower, run and cling and seek God's face in fervent prayer. But again, that's David's lifestyle. So that's got to be our lifestyle as well. And finally, number three, we've just got one more to look at together. Third thing we see in Psalm chapter 27, how we can overcome our sinful fear. Number three, we've got to trust in the promises that he's given us in his word. We've got to trust in the promises that he's given us in his word. Look at verse 13 of Psalm 27. It says, I would have despaired unless I had believed, unless I had trusted that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land 
of the living. Stop there for a second. Now, David did despair, but ultimately he did not give in to sinful fear because he trusted in the promises of God. Now, we don't know what specific promise David is referring to here, but verse 13 is absolutely a statement of trust in the promises of God. In fact, one great commentator does an interpretive paraphrase of verse 13, and he gives us a more of a sense of what it's saying. Do you have that for me, Doug? Read this on the screen. In verse 13, David is saying this. Had I not relied on the promise of God and been assuredly persuaded that he would safely preserve me, I would have utterly perished. There was no other remedy. Guys, here's the deal. When we analyze our sinful fear and we really begin to probe the depths of our hearts at the most fundamental, I mean like subterranean level, what we will find is that all of our fear is the result of a lack of trust in the Lord. It's kind of like when you're a parent and, and, and you've experienced this, you're in the pool and your child is out you know, on, the, on the edge of the pool and you're holding up your hands and you're saying jump and the child is too afraid to jump and you know you would not drop the child but the child makes that fear bigger than you in that moment. And that's what we do in that moment. It's a lack of trust in the Lord. It's the absence of a deep and abiding trust in God's promises to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And let me ask us this question. How are we to cling to his promises that we have in his word if we're not even familiar with what he's actually promised us in his word? Do you know what promises are yours, Christian? Have you lingered in the scriptures to where his promises to you have become your delight and your meditation? That is a very precarious place for us to be because when trouble arises and when the storm clouds descend and we begin to hear the rumble of the thunder of that fearful circumstance, we won't even know what promises are there for us to cling to. In that moment, and we might cave under the weight of our fearful circumstances. One Puritan pastor said this, and I think we've got this quote. If we thoroughly understand and believe what promises in God's, what power is in God's hand to defend us, what tenderness is in his heart to help us, and what faithfulness is in his promises, our hearts will become, our courage will grow stronger, and our fear will grow weaker. Don't be unprepared. Friends, do not be unprepared. You've got to, we've got to know the promises that are ours in God's word so that when we are tempted with sinful fear rather than cower, we will run and cling to those promises. And that's what David does in Psalm 27. You say, okay, Will, time out for a second because I've got an objection. You say, well, here, Psalm 27 is a nice sentiment, you know, put it on a Hallmark card. But Psalm 27 is so far removed from my everyday life and the fears and the circumstance that I'm actually facing right now. You say, Will, you're talking about some guy who lived 3,000 years ago and he's one of the most famous people in all the Bible. So of course, David is gonna be a stellar example and this situation is gonna end with a nice pretty little bow on it. You say, Will, that's 
not real life. And it's not that simple. You know something? You're right. It's not simple. I mean, the fears and the circumstances that some of us are facing right now, not only are they real, they are gut-wrenching. And yes, David lived 3,000 years ago and his experience might be totally different. In fact, it is totally different than any of our experience. But David understood what it means to struggle and wrestle with real fears and with real doubts. I think he's so honest about that in his writings, particularly in this Psalm 27. Look at verse nine for a second. There's There's a little lament section in Psalm 27. He says, hide not your face from me, God. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see, I'm sure there were moments when David did give in to sinful fear. And I'm sure there were moments, in fact, I know there were moments when he cried out in anguish and his response, or he must have despaired when his response from the Lord was just silence. Have you ever felt that way? That you're crying out to the Lord and all you hear is radio silence from the Lord? David experienced that. There's such honesty here in the Psalms. Such raw honesty, because here's the deal. In a fallen universe, nothing has a pretty little bow on it. Not this side of eternity. Life is hard. And we face real challenges and real trials, even as believers in Jesus. And there are some of us that are going through circumstances where on a human level, you have every reason to be terrified right now. Unless you factor in God and his sovereign, sustaining grace. Let me tell you something else so encouraging. One of the reasons Psalm 27 is in the Bible that you hold in your hands is because God knew that 3,000 years later, you would need the hope and encouragement of what the Holy Spirit inspired David to write in Psalm chapter 27. Like, How amazing is that? He put it there for you and for me and for every struggling saint throughout the ages. Now, let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in a real and personal way for the forgiveness of sins, then the first promise that you've got to cling to is the promise of Romans 10, 9, which says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's only in trusting in that promise that you will gain access to every other promise that he has for his children. So I hope that you'll think about that. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, man, we are so glad that you are here. What a safe place for you to investigate what it means to know Jesus. And you're welcome here. But I hope that you think about that, what it means to trust in that promise. We went on another family trip. I think it was just this past summer. We went up to Pennsylvania. We were in Ohio. We went to an amusement park. And my little guy, Quinn, who's five, the mighty Quinn, we call him. He's old enough and big enough now to go on the roller coaster. 
which of course he was totally excited about. So I go on the roller coaster with him and I get in the cart and he's next to me. And you could see in his eyes that he's a little bit scared. He's a little bit, you know, fearful and he's, you know, not exactly sure what to expect. So as he's sitting there, he just grabs hold of my arm and he wraps it around his little body and he just kind of settles in. Now, the only problem for me is that I was only able to put one hand on the bar and I had trouble stabilizing myself. Maybe I got to work on the core or something, but it was, you know, kind of hard. And so, you know, we go through this deal and I had a hard time. And so, of course, he wants to go on the roller coaster again. So we get into the cart and he looks at me like, okay, dad, put, you know, insert arm around me for my protection. And I look at Quinn and I go, Quinn, I'm sorry, I can't. And he looks at me like, dad, that's not an option for me, okay? And so what I did was I take my leg and I just wrap it around his body and I had both of my hands on the bar and we went on the ride. But I love that. I love what Quinn did. He laid hold of his father's hand and arm and he wrapped it around himself for protection. And that's actually the application that I want to give us this morning. Here's the application. Take hold, take hold of a specific promise of God to overcome your sinful fear. Like Quinn took hold of his father's arm. Take hold of your father's promises that he's given you in his word when you're tempted to fear in a sinful way. So what is your greatest fear? Not the one when you were a child, but the one you're facing right now. I mean, the one that wakes you up in the middle of the night. The one that paralyzes you at times. I mean, that fear that grips you and it can be unrelenting at times. What is that fear that you're facing right now? You know, for some of us, it might be a fear of man. And we're paralyzed by what other people think about us. And that grips us so much that it becomes debilitating in our lives. You know, fear of man can be one of the most severe fears that we can face. Some of us have that fear of man. You know, for others of us, there's a fear that we have right now because we're waiting for the results of the biopsy. Or for some of us, your fear is that you got back the results of the biopsy. And now you're really terrified. For some of us, there's a fear that we have that comes from the past hurts and the pain that we've experienced in our life. Maybe that was the wound of a, of a parent or the wound of a friend. And now your fear is the fear that one day someone else might wound you or hurt you in that way. And that fear grips you and that paralyzes you. There's so many different fears. I mean, there's the fear that your prodigal son or daughter might not come back to the Lord. The fear from the painful trial that your family is going through. The fear of being alone and that your desire to be married might go unfulfilled, that's a real fear that many people face. 
There's the fear of harm from a terrorist attack or a natural disaster, something totally outside of our control. There are so many fears that grip the soul, but for every one of those fears, there is a related promise of God for you to cling to in order to overcome that sinful, paralyzing fear. Like the promise of Hebrews 13, five and six. We don't have this on the screen, but let's just listen well. Promise that God says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may say boldly, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There's the promise in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit like he's near to you, Christian. There's the promise in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient in any suffering, trial, sickness, disease, illness, persecution that you might face. My grace is sufficient, my sovereign, sustaining grace. Do you think your father can't catch you if you run to him? cling to these promises. There's the promise that he gives us a peace to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7, there's the promise that nothing can separate us from his love, not height or depth or or, uh, sickness, disease, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. That's in Romans chapter 8. He is, there's the promise that he's the God of all comfort who comforts, comforts us in all our afflictions, all, all our afflictions. Now I want to pray for us, but I've just got one more thought that I want to close with. If you are a child of God and you are in the midst of circumstances that are causing you fear, you need to hear God's promise to you in Isaiah 41.10. And he is saying to you this morning, like right now, he's saying, fear not, my child, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Watch this, I love this. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, my righteous right arm. Lay hold of him, child. Let's pray together. And so, Father, we just want to thank you again this morning for your goodness and kindness and mercy towards us in 10,000 ways that we are not even aware of or maybe even take for granted every day. And Lord, the truth is that we are human. We do not trust you like we ought to at times. We are frail. Lord, you you know our frame, the psalmist said, that we are frail, that we are like dust. But I pray this morning that you would stimulate faith within our hearts to trust you, to take hold of your name, to seek your face 
in fervent prayer and not to put our confidence in ourselves or in something else, but to put our confidence in you so that when the storm clouds arise and the day of distress comes against us, we will know where to run. And Lord, we know that ultimately you will deliver us, maybe not in this life, but in the next life, from this life into the next, into perfect healing and wholeness and an eternity in the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in all of the redeemed community forever. And we will never face fear again. But on this side of eternity, we know that perfect love, your perfect love, casts out. It expels the darkness of our fear. So come, Lord, in your mercy and do that for us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Amen.